0: And let me count the ways that I have said I got this. Uh, Have you ever had all eyes on you and you thought to yourself, I've got this? Or you even said to your buddy, I've got this? By a raise of hands, how many of you remember those vivid words that you said, yep, or your last words, may I say? Um, One time when I was growing up, uh, this Florida boy decided to go ice skating. And you already know that those two words don't go together, Floridians and ice skating. So I went to this middle school event And I was out in the middle of the ice because that's where all middle schoolers uh, end up, in the middle of the ice. And some of my friends, we were trying to impress the young ladies that were out there. And some of them, my fellow young bucks, started to skate backwards. And I thought to myself, well, hey, that looks pretty easy. I got this, right? So let me give you a warning. If you're from Florida, never keep your hands in your pockets, okay, when trying to skate backwards. So I started and my feet went And my chin went, bang, right onto the ice. And so I got everybody's attention, okay? My chin was split open. I had chipped teeth, and I had blood all over my shirt, and I had some wounded pride. So... (laughs) Well, good morning. If you have not ever done that, don't do it. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are continuing in our series on pride. And Evan introduced the subject to us last week. And uh, we're not talking about like the good type of pride, as you can tell already, Uh, you know, good pride in our kids or in our accomplishments or that kind inspire us. Today, we're talking about the pride that hurts us, uh, sometimes literally, or we're talking about the pride that can hurt other people as well. And so last week we learned that pride always isolates and pride always crowds out others and pride always crowds out God. Now, whether you're a Christ follower or not, in this message series, we can all learn about pride because we have pride in our lives. And if you missed last week, I highly encourage you to check out the podcast um, as it really began our series and learning how we can all unfollow pride. Now, today, we're going to talk about 3P people, and 3P people are people with power, prestige, and possessions. So I got a little quiz for you. I need a little participation. Uh, who are the people that come to mind when you think about 3P people? So name some categories, name some people. Who are they? President. Presidents, yep. Something, yeah. Trump. Donald Trump. Man, that was in last service, too. You were here for two services. Um Yeah, you know, when we think about 3P people, we think about people who are world leaders, CEOs, actors and actresses, movie stars, athletes. Um, Those are the people who have power, like they walk into a room and everyone knows to follow them. Or when we think about 3P people, we think that they have prestige. And so everyone knows that they're good at something. So when they talk, everyone listens. Or when we think about 3P people, we think about people with possessions, like call so-and-so because they've got the resources to make it happen. Now, for most of us, when we think about 3P people, we would never think about including ourselves. And I would have never thought about including myself in terms of having power, prestige, or possessions um, as well. And because most of us, when we think about life, it's hard enough just trying to stay ahead of the bills or trying to just keep our heads above the water. Now, a number of years ago... Um, I heard this talk from this guy that really changed my life, and he shared some of the stats of how us Americans live in comparison to the rest of the world. And when he shared these stats, I was amazed, and it was very interesting. And I had, like, been out of the country, and I thought I had kind of seen the poor, um, but these stats really got my attention. And so I wanted to share a few of them with you. Do you know that the bottom 5% of Americans uh, are still wealthier than 65% of the world's population. And if your uh, family income is $10,000, you are wealthier than more than 84% of the world's population. And if your family income is $50,000 or plus, you are wealthier than 99% of the people in this world. Now, He just kept showing these facts and showing these facts. And I was just like, wow, had no clue. And then he came upon this one um, stat that he said. And this stat was, do you know that there are 3 billion people? And up there, it's not like 300,000. It's not 3 million. 3 billion people, just under half the world's population, lives on $2.25 a day. Now, that was mind-boggling to me. Like, I could never imagine living on $2.25 a day until I went to Guatemala with Epic. Now, when you first get to Guatemala, you come into this city that looks, you know, pretty decent. The airport's pretty good and everything. And you, you know, see some of the things like McDonald's and even a Walmart there as well. And you're thinking, okay, they're not too bad off and everything. Then you get to Antigua where we stay, and it's like, you know, St. Augustine on steroids out there. It's really old. It's ancient. It's amazing. But then when I got to the rural areas of Guatemala and got to know some of the stories of the people that we were working with, my eyes were opened. Okay? So one of the mothers that we were building a house for, um, our sandwiches for lunch that day were wrapped in saran wrap, and we just threw them away and like, looked like a garbage area. Well, she went through there and started picking up the saran wrap and started to reuse it on the spot there. And that just really opened my eyes of like, wow here's a person who really lives on $2.25 a day. And then at another home, there was a family, and they're kind of like what we would consider like the size of a shed. Their entire structure was made out of cornstalk on all four sides of the wall. And so they... Um, had this structure made out of corn They had collected these pieces of tin that were on top of the roof uh, for their roof. Uh, They had dirt floors, and their bathroom was literally like a hole in the ground that uh, there was kind of a trough that went off to like the community kind of, you know, stream, ditch, and everything. And so got a real glimpse into what $2.25 looked like. And then at another build, I talked to a grandmother, and I asked her, had she always cooked on an open fire, and she said for her entire life she had cooked on an open fire, and she had never had a wood-burning stove that we gave to her that day. She'd been inhaling that smoke for 65, 70 years on an open fire and never had a wood-burning stone. Now, if you had asked me before this trip if I had power, prestige, or possessions, I would have said, no, I don't. But when I got a glimpse into some people's lives and what it looks like to live on $2.25 a day, it changed me. It changed the way I looked at how I live. Now, when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, um, it's really hard to build a case that we don't have power, prestige, and possessions. I mean, we take for granted that we pretty much have an education all the way through 12th grade and then even get help in college from other people to get us into college as well. And for most of us, um, we take for granted some of the freedoms that we have when, in essence, when you look around the world and you look especially at women who are in some other countries, they're treated like second-class citizens and even third-class citizens in their countries. Or for most of us, you know, we get the ability to choose the careers that we want or the jobs that we have, and we jump from one job to another job. We get tired of a job, and we try to, you know, climb up the ladder and everything. And yet most of the the countries around the world, if you even have a job, that's awesome. And so it's really hard for me to say that I'm not a 3P person. It's really hard for us to not say that we don't have power, uh, prestige, and possessions. And what often is the challenge for 3P people is really our pride. Our pride gets in the way of admitting that we really have power, prestige, and possessions. And it's critical because pride can destroy our lives, as we learned last week, and pride can destroy others, and pride can hurt our relationship with God. So today, we're gonna look at two amazing examples in the Bible of people who were 3P people, and we're gonna see how they were called into account. Because God wants us to understand some powerful concepts because the power that we receive, the prestige that we receive, and the possessions that we receive can get out of control. So we are going to turn to Daniel chapter 4, verse 4 in the Bible. Um, If you want to turn there, you can. We're actually going to go really fast today, so it would be kind of hard. So we're going to put these uh, verses up on the screen today, and you're going to be able to follow along with no problem at all. So before we begin, I'm going to need some participation, okay, during this message. And it's going to be real easy, so don't like, oh, what is he going to do, or anything like that. It's going to be real easy, and, um, you know, I don't know if you grew up in a church. Uh, when I grew up in church, my mama said, you know, to always, like, not talk in church. How many of you, like, had mamas who said, like, don't talk in church? Yeah, you know, and you got, like, that death pinch, you know, with the thumb and the forefinger, finger, and, like, right in the side or right there, and it still hurts today? You know, you know what I'm talking about, and your dad couldn't do it, but your mom could do it, All right. So today, you're not going to get a death pinch, okay? But we're going to participate. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, when we grew up in school and we had the national anthem and we would all say the Pledge of Allegiance at that point, or maybe... um, you went to a church where the pastor would read something and everybody would do this responsive reading and you always read the same thing every week and all together. And if that doesn't make sense, uh, it's kind of like, I'm going to say a famous movie quote and you're going to like finish it. And so here's a little test for you. Uh, if you're like a star Wars fan, like Luke, I'm not your father or I am your father. And you would say, there we go, man, somebody's got it right there. (laughs) So, and I'm not your father. All right. So, um, but anyways, when we get to that point, it's going to be underlined. it's going to be real easy, and we're going to say the same thing kind of several times, so we'll make it real easy. Now let me set the scene of these historical events that actually happened. In 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he was conquering different people groups and trying to like, own the world, and he conquers Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that he does is when he conquers a people, he takes the best and the brightest and the smartest back to his capital city of Babylon, makes them a part of his council of wise men and magicians, learns from them, gains a lot more than anybody else would know because he's collected all these people together, give them power to help you know, build his kingdom of Babylon. And so it was massive. It was amazing because he did this thing. So really smart guy to do that. Well, when he goes down and conquers Jerusalem, he carts off these four guys. And if you've been around the Bible enough, you know these four guys. And one of them is, his name is Daniel. And the other three guys kind of go together. And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and... Man, look at that. You guys are Bible scholars. Way to go. All right. So he carts off these four guys to Babylon and makes them part of his council. And one night he has a dream and he thinks it's kind of an important dream. So he calls in all of his magicians, he calls in all of his wise men, and he says, I want you to interpret this dream, but I know you guys, all right? I don't trust some of you, all right? Some of the things you've been telling me lately, I don't trust. So not only do I want you to interpret the dream, but I want you to tell me without me telling you the dream that I had. And these guys are like, what? You know? So they look at each other and say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, only the gods can reveal dreams to men. Like basically saying, we're not so connected with God. Now he didn't like that answer. So he's like ready to put all of them to death because he can get some new magicians and new, you know, wise men and everything like that. But Daniel, this young teenager says, wait a second, King, time out. Give me a day. And I'll not only tell you the interpretation of the dream, but I will tell you the dream exactly as you had. And so he goes off and he comes back and he does it. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, oh my goodness, you know, the king or the God of the Jews is the God of all gods. And we're going to worship this God. Now, the only problem with King Nebuchadnezzar is he's got like this short-term memory. And so he kind of forgets about that. And a number of years go by and then all of a sudden... Uh, Daniel's on vacation and he gets this idea, I'm going to build this huge statue of myself made out of gold because I'm important and, I, and you guys aren't so important and I want you to worship me every day. And so every morning I want you to worship me this morning by bowing down to this statue before you begin your day. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no way, Jose, we're not doing that. And they say, well, we'll throw you into the furnace that we just made this statue out of. And the only problem is that they don't burn up. So the king says, bring them on out. So they come out, and, they, and he says, new rule. Whoever they worship, we worship, all right? So again, for some reason, short-term, long-term memories, not so good with King Nebuchadnezzar. And so many years go by, and this important event happens. And it's so important that the king writes about it himself, and he sends it out to everyone to know what trans- has transpired. And Daniel gets a hold of it and includes it in part of his book, and that's why it's in our Bibles. So let's see what King Nebuchadnezzar wrote um, almost 25 years after the event with uh, the idol himself. So chapter 4, verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. No war for like 25 years. He's built this city. It looks splendid. It looks awesome. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. Now, this dream that he had, it's about this big, gigantic tree, and it was awesome. And all the peoples of the earth kind of looked at this tree, saw it, saw how beautiful it was, how majestic it was. It was providing for everyone. Everyone was taken care of. And so all of a sudden, in the dream, uh, the king hears this voice, says, cut it down, cut it down. And uh, they cut down this magnificent tree, and all that's left is this stump. Of the tree. And then King Nebuchadnezzar hears these voices, and he describes it as like the messengers, or they're kind of like angels. Um, And that's the part that we're going to play because uh, these are the things that they kind of said during uh, his dream to him. So, picking up in verse 17, "'For this has been decreed by the messengers. "'It is commanded by the holy ones, "'so that everyone may know that.'" And here's your part, let's say it together. "'The most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. "'He gives them to anyone he chooses.'" Okay, you need some coffee in you, all right? Let's try that again, all right? Here we go. "'The most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. "'He gives them to anyone he chooses.'" even to the lowliest of people. Now, when King Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel this dream, they're kind of like buds at this point. And uh, Daniel's face just goes white. And the king's like, Daniel, what's wrong? I mean, you can tell me. I mean, is it that bad? Like, I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, nothing bad happens to me. I mean, I've had a powerful rule. Like, you can tell me. Tell me what's happened. And Daniel says to him, okay, I wish that this dream was about your enemies. But instead, it's about you. You are that tree in the dream. And here's what the dream means. Verse 24, This is what the dream means, your majesty. And what the most high has declared will happen to my lord the king you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, like, metaphorically, right, Daniel? And uh, Daniel's like, no, literally. All right? And Daniel continues, seven periods of time, we don't know if that's seven months or seven years, probably seven years, will pass while you live this way until you learn that and together The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Like in other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to be your lot in life until you learn once and for all that you are a king and not the king. I mean, you've been warned many times that there is a king of kings, that there is one true God, and you know that but yet you continue to persist in your ways. And so this is going to happen. Now, Daniel continues, verse 26, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. Remember in the dream, the stump was still there and didn't get uh, dug up. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that, and I love this phrase. It's only used once in the Bible. Until you've learned that heaven rules, until heaven rules. So King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel begs him, king, would you please repent of your ways? And more specifically, would you repent of your improper attitude about the poor? Because you see back then in Old Testament times, the kings were supposed to defend the defendless. They were supposed to take care of the poor. And maybe you remember back in school, they talked about the code of Hammurabi, and that is Babylonian law, and it was written 1,100 years prior to King Nebuchadnezzar. And in that law, it told that the kings were supposed to take care of the poor, the widows, and the orphans as well. And so this is what uh, God is calling King Nebuchadnezzar out. You've been misusing your power. You've been misusing your prestige. You've been misusing your possessions and not taking care of the poor. So Daniel confronts this king and says, King, would you repent of your ways? And calls him out. And he says this, because I know who God is and he is a good and gracious God and he will probably reconsider what he's about to do. And I love this passage. It's found multiple times throughout the Old Testament. Numbers 14, 18, it describes God all the time like this. This is, the the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But yet the king would not repent. And so 12 months go by, verse 29, 12 months later, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, nothing's happened to him. He hasn't repented. So he's out taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, and this is like when the soundtrack begins to change, okay? He says this, "'Look at this great city of Babylon.'" And so this place was amazing. He says, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And if we were in a movie together, we'd all say, no, don't say that, you know? And as soon as he says that, verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven... O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you because you are a king and not the king. Someone can speak to you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar, your role as king has been taken away from you. You know, you did not recognize that someone gave it to you, that it was a stewardship, that it was temporary, uh, that you were warned multiple times. And O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, Whether you understood it or not, you will be held accountable. Now, it continues, uh, God continues to speak to him. Verse 32, you will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. And seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that. And here it is, together, the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. And that same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Now, when you kind of read that, it's kind of freaky, right? You know? I mean, how would you like that? And you know, there's actually a mental disorder. Uh, I looked it up on Wikipedia where I get all my facts. Um, But seriously... There is a mental disorder that describes exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar went through. um, And the definition is, uh, the name of it is boanthropy a person in a delusional state believes himself or herself to be an ox or cow and attempts to live and behave accordingly. And one of the most famous cases was a guy in England uh, who had this. And for five years, he lived at a mental institute as they were working with him. And every day they had to literally, and this is for real, take him outside and he would eat The grass, he was really picky, would not eat the weeds, and he would drink water, and he did that for five years until he was cured. And then he started Chick-fil-A, and he said, eat more chicken. Now, he didn't say that. That last part about Chick-fil-A, that was bonus. Uh, But anyways, this is a real case that happened, and this judgment actually happened to King Nebuchadnezzar for a period of probably seven years, and it came to truth. Now, look what King Nebuchadnezzar continued to write, all right? This is his writing. Verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High, and I bet he did, and honored the one who lives forever forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. I mean, here's the most powerful person in the world at that time who says he is humbled, writes this thing, sends it out to everyone and says that the king of kings, the one true God humbles him. For a king to admit that, that is amazing, and especially King Nebuchadnezzar. And he learned a lesson. I mean, he was misusing his power. He was misusing his prestige. He was misusing his possessions, and he was called into account by God. And after he repents, here's something that we miss out on. God restores his power, his prestige, his possessions, and gives him even more. I mean, what a fascinating story. Now, the story doesn't end, okay, because we need to kind of dissect another part of this story. So 40 years go by, King Nebuchadnezzar dies, and Babylon starts to wane in power. It's not as strong as it used to be. And another empire is kind of on the rise. It's uh, King Cyrus of the Persians, and he's out to conquer the world, and he battles the Babylonians here and there and there and finally gets to their city and surrounds the city. Now, the king of the city at that time was King Belshazzar, okay? And he was king of the city, and he kind of looks out at all these armies, and he says, go ahead, you know, try to get in here. Our place is powerful, okay? The city of Babylon had 350 feet tall walls that surrounded the entire city. They were 87 feet thick. They prided themselves that they could uh, last with supplies for 20 years. They had the mighty Euphrates River that went right through the heart of the city. And they had these, the walls extended over the river with these gates that went down so that nobody could float down the river and get into the city at that point. And so King Belshazzar says, you know what? I'm going to spit in the face of my enemies. We're going to have this great feast tonight. And so here they go. They have this great feast. He invites all these people, probably about a thousand people. And he says, bring out Marduk, our God who's made of stone, and we're going to worship our God. And then, you know what? Bring out all the other idols that represent all the other gods that we've conquered because his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the other hobbies he had was collecting idols of conquered people and use them as trophies. So bring them on out here and we'll display that our God has conquered these gods and we're going to conquer the Persians as well. And so he brings them all out. Now, the only problem is when they go to get like the idol that represents the God of the Jews, there was none. Because when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, defeated Jerusalem and went into their temple, there was no idol of God because God said never to make an idol of himself and never to worship idols because he's the one true God. And so instead they found all these gold goblets and these silver goblets and they took those And so he says, bring out the gold goblets, bring out the silver goblets. We're going to drink from them because we defeated the Jewish God as well. And in that moment, all of a sudden there was a loud noise and it got everyone's attention. And on the wall right behind the king, there there appeared a hand, a hand with no arm. And it started to write in the plaster of the wall and it started to write some words in the wall. Now, it's recorded in the Bible that Belshazzar, his feet literally like gave out, like it scared him to death. And so the music stops, the party stops, and the king is focused on what are those words saying? The hand disappears, there's words in the wall, nobody can read them, no one knows their meaning. So he says, get all the magicians, get all the wise men. And so they bring them in, he promises them all these rewards and stuff, if they can read the words and they can tell them what it means, and no one can do it. And the queen says, you know what? I remember your grandfather had a guy named Daniel, and he's still alive. Uh, He's probably about 70 years old at this point. Let's bring him in and see if he can do this, because he was kind of known for doing this kind of stuff. And so they bring him in, and Daniel comes in, sees the fear in everyone's eyes, sees the writing on the wall, and he says, king, listen up. And here's what Daniel says to him. Chapter 5, verse 17. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, my God, the God, the king of Israel, the king of the world, loaned your grandfather his greatness and his splendor. But When his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until he learned that and everyone together, the most high God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Belshazzar, your grandfather learned that his power was on loan from the king of kings, And you are his successor. And oh, Belshazzar, you knew all this. Like the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, man, that had circulated around. Everybody knew, don't do that. Look what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Like the kids knew that, the grandkids knew that. And so, oh, Belshazzar, you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. And here's the big offense. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have these cups from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Picture this, here's Daniel pointing to Marduk, pointing to all these other uh, idols on the ground that are just made out of gold, never done anything notable, but yet the king of kings, the Jewish God, had made history and everyone knew it. And so he says, look at these gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny and other translation or holds you in his hand. it's interesting that God sent a hand to write this message to you. And you could have heard a pin drop in that room at this moment. So Daniel tells him the meaning. He says this. This is the message that was written. Many, many, teckle and parson. This is what the words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. O king, your days are numbered. Like you thought you were great, but you're not so great. You know, your reign will come to an end. I mean, we all get it. Like, we enter into this world in the same way, and we exit this life in the same way. You are not all that. And then he says, second word, tekel, means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Like, you are accountable. Someone has weighed you, and you hold other people accountable, but yet you've forgotten that someone holds you accountable holds you accountable in how you use your power, prestige, and possessions as well. And then the last word, parson, means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Belsh- Belshazzar, your influence is temporary. Now, here's the most fascinating part of the story. About a week prior to this, the Persians had gone north to where the Euphrates kind of begins. And they dug a canal to like a nearby swamp and were ciphering off water from the river. And then they timed it to get and surround themselves around Babylon. And that night that this king decides to throw this big old party, instead of using his power, prestige, and possessions to defend his people, he got a little cocky and shows off his pride and says, let's just throw a party. That very night, the water dries up and the army goes right underneath those gates, conquers the city, and executes Belshazzar because the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So what does this mean, you know? It means that no matter how much power, prestige, and possessions that we have, it's a stewardship. It's been given to us by God. We are responsible and we're not to misuse it. And just like we saw in these stories, they misused their power, their prestige, and their possessions for themselves rather than for other people. And it ends up allowing us to let our pride get in the way, which ends up hurting us, and it ends up hurting others, and it ends up hurting our relationship with God. And God will hold us responsible because he is so much more concerned that we use what he's he's given to us for the good of others, to allow them to see how good he is. And so one day we will be called into account. One day we will be held responsible. One day we must recognize that it is all from him and we are accountable. So the question of us when we look at these two guys' story is how are we doing as 3P people? You know? How are we doing with the things that God has entrusted us with? Are we allowing pride to interfere with the power, the prestige, and the possessions that we have? Are we allowing pride to steal what's been given to us? Are we allowing pride to take away um, what God wants for others with our power and prestige and possessions that he's given to us? And so in that moment, you know, God wants us to take into account... And wants us to get pride under control because it's our responsibility to put pride in its place. And often we have to speak to the pride that's in our life. And we have to say, Pride, I am no longer going to allow you to steal what you want to do in my life. And I am accountable. And it's all from Him. So, how are you allowing pride to steal from you? You know? Are you allowing the power that you have to forgive someone to be taken from you because you just can't forgive them and you allow that to control your life because you're so angry at them but yet you've never forgiven them? You take back the power and you tell pride, pride, I am going to forgive them because I am not going to allow you to control my future anymore. I forgive them. Or for some of us, are you allowing pride to destroy your marriage? You know, you're waiting for your spouse to come to you rather than you go to your spouse. You know, you tell pride, pride, this spouse has been given to me by God and I love them and I am in this marriage. Or for some of us, maybe we feel so important at work or maybe we get caught up in our hobbies or maybe we just simply get caught up in TV and we ignore the children or the grandchildren that God have given to us. And we spend our time doing those things rather than realizing how much our children look up to us and want to admire us and want us to be involved in their lives. And so we need to tell pride, Pride, these children have been given to me by God. They are one of a kind. And I am going to spend time with them. Or for some of us, maybe there's something in our lives that we are trying to cover up and we know that it's destroying us and it will destroy our relationships. And so what is it? You know, is it drinking? Is it an affair? Is it pornography? Is it your health? What is it that you've been trying to cover up and yet it's destroying your life? And so you tell pride, pride, I am going to take this and I'm going to tell someone that I need some help because it is getting out of control and it's going to destroy me and it's going to destroy the relationships in my life. Or for some of us, we allow pride to tell us that we can be a part of everything in this world and we are so busy instead of focusing on a few things and doing them well. So we tell pride, pride, you know what? It is more important that I invest in my relationships with my family, with my friends, with my neighbors, my coworkers, those who are at church. I am going to surrender and serve those people because they need to know about you. They need to see your love in their lives. Or for some of you, maybe you have like been bucking this whole relationship with God. And at times you have seen God move powerfully in your life, but yet you have never crossed that line and enter into a relationship with God because you allow these doubts to come into your mind and disturb you and say, you know what? Well, what about that? And you tell pride, pride, I know, I know how much God loves me. And you keep throwing these questions and yeah, they're important, but I know enough. And so I am surrendering my life to you, God. God, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? And would you be my God? Because when we look at these guys' stories, how many warnings? How many warnings before you take control of your pride? How many warnings does it take before we get in control of our pride? How long? Or today could be, just like King Nebuchadnezzar, today could be the day that you repent Of your pride. And you say to God, God, I look up to you. I know it's all from you. And I am held accountable. And today, would you forgive me for my pride that's been getting in the way and destroying my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Because I know it's all from you. I know I am accountable. So today, the way that we're going to end today is I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And I'm sure something has probably popped up because we all have pride in our lives. And so, is there an area in your life where you know that pride has been getting in the way and you've been misusing your power, your prestige, and your possessions and not using it for good, instead, using it for yourselves? And so, what is it? And during this prayer, I want you to talk to God in your mind and I want you to ask Him for forgiveness and say, God, I am going to be accountable. I am recognizing that everything is from you. And so during that time, when you pray that prayer, later on today, I want you to tell somebody. Because another way to defeat pride is to tell someone else of the struggle that you're having and someone that can help you. And so you do that because we can't take pride on by ourselves. And so we're going to do something a little different. I want you to stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song and go right into it. And this song is kind of a declaration, so go ahead and stand. This song is a declaration of what you're about to do as you talk to God. And after you pray this prayer, as I pray, I want you to sing this song and recognize God for all that he has done, that all that he has given to you, and you declare how you're going to use the things that he's entrusted you with. And so after this prayer, we're going to sing out this song. Uh, It was the third song that we sang today, and you declare that back to God. So let's pray. So Father, we uh, thank you for who you are. God, that you are the great I am. God, thank you so much for working throughout history to show us exactly who you are, exactly what it is in our lives that's getting in the way of a relationship with you. You spoke so powerfully to these kings of nations, God, about how they use their power, their prestige and possessions that you gave to them. And you are telling us, wow, what are you doing in your life? So thank you for these gentle reminders because we know from history that you are God that loves us. And when we repent and when we turn to you, you forgive us and that we find your love and that we find you. And so God, as we sing this song, as we pray to you, God, would you forgive us of our pride? Would you forgive us for the way that we've misused our power, our prestige and possessions? And God, as you do that, I know you forgive us, which is amazing. You take our sins and you cast them as far as the east is to the west and you don't remember those things. And God, it's amazing that when we repent and turn back to you, that you entrust us with the things that we have. And when we show to you that we are faithful, you entrust us with more. It's amazing that you did that in King Nebuchadnezzar, that he finally got the lesson. So God, may today be the day that we, in turn, get the lesson. So Father, we just thank you for who you are, and we love you, and we sing this song to you as a declaration of what you have done and what you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. My name is Chris, and I've got just a couple of quick announcements for you before we continue on with our service. First of all, if you're new with us, I invite you to stop by our Connection Center on the way out. It's right around those curtains. We'd love to meet you and to make ourselves available to answer any questions that you may have. Well, 4th of July is right around the corner, and that means that Surge, which is our middle school and high school ministry, is putting the finishing touches on their floats. They're going to be participating in the parade down in Flagler Beach that morning. So what we need from you, if you're able to, is to donate some hard candy. Because as you know, the float that passes out the most candy gets the most cheers. So that's what we want now. So if you're able to do that the next couple weeks, the table by the Connection Center is the place where you can drop that off. The kids would really, really appreciate it. And then remember to mark your calendars to come out and support us as we're cruising down A1A that morning. You know, Flagler County knows who we are here at Epic because we partner with several local charities. And we want to make a difference in our community. And I think we are making a difference in our community. And your generosity has ensured that we're able to continue supporting these ministries. So if you've uh, decided to partner with us financially uh, from Epic, I just want to thank you. We really appreciate it. And if you want to continue to donate or give, uh, or if you have recently made that decision that you want to go ahead and do that, there's two ways. First of all, we have giving boxes set up at the end of the seating sections on the tables or you can visit our website, which is theepicchurch.com, and you can donate securely online. Well, that's all really I have for you today. We've got a funny video. Feel free to laugh out loud. I think it's pretty cute, so have a great rest of service.